Our scripture passage we're reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew. We're looking at chapter 11, this is verses 2 to 6. Uh, before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and, uh, good and worshipful Father, Lord. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this word of scripture you have given us. We thank you for this revealing that you have put upon our hearts. And Father, as we approach this scripture today, Lord, I pray you give us the power to search out ourselves, Lord, our own minds and hearts, Lord, and, and to find that indwelling of your Holy Spirit that is within us already. And in that indwelling, Lord, learn and be taught from that Spirit, Lord, that we can hear your word proclaimed and know the truth that you speak into us. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Matthew, verse 11, chapter 11, verses 2 to 6. We're going to read this and then pause for a moment of silent meditation. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when a kid comes to ask you for help with his homework, let me ask you this. Let me see what your experience is here. When a child comes to ask you for help with his homework, is he really asking for help with his homework, or is he asking for you to give him the answer to his homework? Now, I don't know how what your experience is. Like I said, but when my kids, I've discovered, ask me, for help with their homework, what they want is for me to give them the answer. And, and they know when to come to me. Right? They know when to come to me and when to come to their mother. Right? They don't ask me for math help because right? they had to teach me math if that's the case. We're in big trouble if my kids need math help from me. Now, my kids come to me if they need help with like social studies or history or English or something like that. And they know that they can just wind me up and I'll just start talking. I mean, they know who their dad is, right? They, Get, get an audience, an opportunity, the subject to talk, and I'll just talk and talk, you know. Let them know their old man's not as dumb as they think. You know, my daughter, oh, Dad, I've got to do this project on Odysseus. You know anything about Odysseus? Oh, man, do I know something about Odysseus? Well, let me tell you the story of the Odyssey. See, it began with the Trojan War. It lasted 10 years, and the only way they won was to build this Trojan horse, this big, wooden, empty horse. And she's like, yeah, oh, good, good. H how do you spell Achilles. That's, oh, this is good, good stuff. Wait, slow down. What was that sentence again? And I realize what I've done. Now, in my more self-aware moments, then I can step back and I see what my kids are doing, and I'll try to do like a good teacher should do. Not give her the answer, but help her discover the answer. So what do you know about Odysseus? What do you think the theme of the story is? Maybe you need to check back to see what happens next. 
Why don't you look at your paper? That's how Achilles is spelled. You know, spell Achilles. That's what any good teacher does. A good teacher doesn't tell you the answer. A good teacher will guide you to the answer. A good teacher will, will shepherd you so you get to discover the answer for yourself. Because when you discover an answer for yourself, you learn it on a whole different level. Because it's not just something that you just know in your head. It even starts to become a little bit a part of who you are. Because you've discovered the answer for yourself. Now, we all like to think that, that this is a problem we have with kids because as adults, we know how important it is to find and discover answers, and we're not going to be lazy like that anymore, right? And just want people to give us the answer. Wrong. As adults, we're just as lazy. We want people to just give us the answer. Because, I mean, our questions are a lot harder, after all. These are very important questions. It's not just about Achilles and Odysseus and Greek mythology. We have very important life-changing decisions. Should I take this new job? Should I move to that new state? Should I, should I marry this girl? Should I marry this guy? These are answers that we need. These are questions we need the answer to. And we need someone to tell us what these answers are. And we often will pray to God, God, just give me an answer. Give me the answer. Sign any sign. I just want an answer. What we want is for God to tell us the answer. But God's a good teacher. He often doesn't tell us the answer, even if it's an important question. What God does is something better. He guides us to the answer. Because the truth is, the most important answers that we must find are the ones that we must discover for ourselves. So in this passage that we read today, the, the, the John the Baptist, he has a very important question. In fact, it could be one of the most important questions anybody can ask. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus who we say he is, who we claim he is, who we preach he is, who we preach that he is. John's asking, are you the one that I've been waiting for, or is there somebody else? There's no bigger question than that. Because if Jesus is who he claims he is, then that changes everything for life. For your life, for my life, for our life, for how we view the world, for how we view ourselves. It is one of those universe-altering questions. And so, yes, we should probably get a direct answer to that. But this is what John asked him. This is, I'm looking at uh, verse 2 here in chapter 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this question has been asked by John the Baptist here is asking it, and it's very important to him as well because he is known as the forerunner. He is a prophet that was specially appointed to announce the coming of Christ. That was his job. That was his main job in history. Is he was the one to announce. Not like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Joel or the other prophets who were just saying eventually one day a, a Messiah is going to come wait for him. When John was coming as the forerunner, he was saying the Messiah is coming now. Now is the time. Now is the generation. His message is repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's about to happen in our lifetimes and in our generation. So this was a very important question for John the Baptist. 
Now, if some of y'all, if you remember your Bible, you might look back and think, this is actually a strange question for John to ask. Because you may remember in Matthew chapter 3, you know, what is it about, like eight verses before this, eight chapters before this, John is the one who baptized Jesus. And in that, in that scene, you might remember the story, John, Jesus comes to John to get baptized, and John's like, no, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me, because you are the Holy One. But Jesus insists, no, this has got to be done this way. So, so John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, and when he does it, he sees the Holy Spirit come down out of heaven. It says, like a dove, and it comes and rests on Jesus. And then a voice from heaven calls out and says, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, kind of made it obvious, didn't it? This is the Messiah. And even in the, in the Gospel of John, different John, but a John, in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he prophesies about him. The spirit of prophecy comes on John and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John already, sounds like he already knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So why is John having to ask him? Why is John even asking the question about Jesus being the Messiah when it looks like he already knows that Jesus is the Christ? Well, if we look here at that, at that first sentence, that first verse, it, I think it kind of gives us the answer because it says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. See, John was, he was locked up right now. Since that baptism his ministry had not been going so great. His life hadn't been going great. He was in jail now. He was in prison, and, and here he was expecting this Messiah. He was told, you were predicting my Messiah who's coming in this generation. He saw Jesus, and he thought, oh, this has got to be the one. He's going to make everything right. He's going to put everything right in my life and in the life of Israel. He certainly didn't think he was going to end up in prison. And as we know, as the story goes, he wasn't just waiting in prison. He was waiting to be executed. Not long after this story, King Herod has him beheaded. So John's not just in prison, not just in jail. He's waiting for his coming execution. Things are not working like he expected. This was supposed to be the Messiah that was going to make it right. He was going to bring Israel to glory. He certainly wasn't going to let his forerunner rot in a prison now. You got to think, John has got some time to think to himself. I mean, this is, this is not the kind of prisons we have in America today, right, where they give you this jumpsuit, it's heated and cooled, and you get three square meals a day. I know it's not paradise, but compared to what John was in, it sure is. The prisons back then was some hole in the ground that was wet and it was dark and you were cold and you were hungry and you were alone. And you can imagine John sitting there in that dark prison. He's got just his thoughts to keep him company. And you got to think that doubt's going to be coming back saying, was I wrong about all this? Was I wrong about the Messiah? Because it's certainly not working out like I expected it to. I think that's something we can probably all sympathize with. I mean, who, who among us or whose life has worked out like we expected it to? Who along the road hasn't had some disappointments some griefs, even some fears creep up. And, and in, the, in those moments of like fear and doubt, we start to wonder, is this, I mean, is this real? 
is this true? Can I really believe this? And I'm going through this hardship now, and I know God has promised me goodness and joy and glory. That's, that's, that's so far off, it seems. It seems almost like this promise that I can't really take hold of. God, can you just give me some real assurance? Like, can you give me a little glimpse of heaven, maybe? A little glimpse of your promise? A glimpse of this glory to come? Just, just a little peek, you know? Just, wink, wink, all right, and I'll be happy. Or, or some direct answer to me. Some direct answer. But he doesn't. Or if he does, it happens very, very rarely. If it's happened to you, please tell me. Because I would like to talk to others about it. So John is having these doubts. He's wrestling with this fear and this doubt. And so he, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus one more time, just to be sure. Just to be sure, are you the one that we're waiting for? But Jesus, in divine style, just like his father does, doesn't answer him directly. What Jesus does instead is he gives John his resume. John says, are you the Messiah? Jesus says, here, take a look at my resume. And this is what he answers. I'm looking at verse 4 here. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, that is a pretty good resume for a Messiah. I'm getting the blind to see again. The deaf are getting their sight back. All kinds of sick people are getting healed. The dead are even being raised. How do you think this is happening, John? How do you think this is happening? Why else would this be going on? Unless I'm the Messiah. But he doesn't give that direct answer still, though. He doesn't come out and say, I am the Messiah. Yes, John, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Just take it easy. I got this. He answers in that, in that indirect way. And he does it a lot in the Gospels. He did it to Peter later on in Matthew when he asked his disciples, he says, who, who, do, who do people say I am? And the disciples start chattering and talking. Oh, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Come back. And at this time, Jesus could say, well, you know what? I'm the Messiah. But he doesn't. He makes them say it. They're asking all these questions about who he is. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And it's Peter that speaks up. You're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Simon Barjona, but the Spirit of God. But he made Peter give the answer. He didn't answer it himself. And if you look through the Gospels, he does it all the time. He doesn't answer the Jewish authorities. He doesn't answer the Sanhedrin. He doesn't answer Pilate. When anyone asks him directly, are you the Messiah? He almost never answers it. In fact, the only place I could find in the Gospels where Jesus came out and said, I am the Messiah, is in the Gospel of John, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. A woman, she's not even Jewish. And she doesn't even ask him if he's the Messiah. Now, they're just sitting at the well, chatting, and they're talking about the Messiah. She doesn't ask him, doesn't say, is it you? They're just talking about the Messiah. And Jesus says, oh yeah, that's me. The Messiah you're talking about, I'm the guy. So the one person that doesn't ask him, he tells. But anyone who asks him, Jesus doesn't tell. He gives them some roundabout way, makes them answer, or just hands off his resume. I think for the same reason he's not more direct with us in a lot of our searchings and a lot of our questions. And you know why he didn't answer John directly? Because John already knew the answer. 
John knew who Jesus was. John already knew who Jesus was. The answer to that question was already inside of him. And the same thing with Peter. Peter had seen the miracles. He had seen the teaching. He knew what Jesus was. The answer was already in him. John had been at the baptism. He had seen the Spirit come down. He had heard the heavens proclaim that this was the Son of God. He had prophesied about him himself. He already knew the answer. But what happened to John is he was letting his doubts and his fears get the best of him. He was letting his insecurities get the best of him. And he wasn't looking at Christ anymore. He was looking at his doubt and fear. He was standing there staring at his doubt and fear. I don't know who the Christ is anymore. And it wasn't because he didn't have the answer. It's because he was looking at his doubt and fear and he wasn't looking at Christ. And we lose the answer for the same reason. Is we're not looking at Christ anymore. We're looking at our doubt and fear. And the answer to who Jesus is is not in your doubt. It's not in your fear. It's not in your insecurity. You've got to stop looking at that. You have to look at him. That's where you find your answer. That's where the answer is that you're looking for. And looking there, he shows you. The blind see, the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. But what he doesn't do is answer the question for you. You know, a good therapist does the same thing. Now, if you have a good therapist, it really is a wonderful experience. I mean, borderline a religious experience if you've got a good therapist. Because what a therapist do is a therapist is not going to answer you directly. Any question you bring to the therapist, should I change jobs? Should I move away? Should I marry this girl? I mean, the therapist would be crazy to answer that for you anyway. But a therapist doesn't answer. The therapist says, well, what do you think? What do you think you should do? And then begins a conversation with you to bring that answer out. Because if anybody in the room knows the answer to that question, it's not the therapist. It's you. So the job of that therapist is to bring that answer that's already in you. And I know it's easier just to get someone to tell you the answer you want. But let's be honest. If someone tells us the answer, we're a lot less likely to believe it than if we come up with the answer ourselves. I mean, how many times has that happened? Someone told you something, you were like, well, that doesn't sound right. And then a week later, you come to the same conclusion yourself. Or you tell somebody something, and they're like, no, nah, no, you're not right. And then a week later, you hear them telling the same thing, as if it was their idea and it was yours all along. Or how many times have people given you advice that was good advice, but you had to make the mistake yourself before you really believed it? See, the difference is if someone gives you an answer, it's their answer. But if you discover the answer, it's your answer. You know, I firmly believe that in our journey of faith, at some point, every believer has to write their own scripture. Now, it's not what it sounds like, okay? I don't mean write your own Bible. You don't get to write your own laws or your rules or your own prophecies, or your own doctrine. That's not what I mean. I mean, at some point in your journey of faith, through your experience, through your trials, through your life, you discover the truth of Scripture on your own. And that's when it becomes yours. And that's what I mean by writing your own Scripture. 
is when you go through life and through your studies and you take scripture and you hold it up to the world and you hold it up to life and your experiences and you discover for yourself that this really is the word of God. And that's not an answer anybody else can give you. Because at that point, you start to believe, not because your parents told you it's the word of God, not because they told you here in church, not because I told you or your tradition or everybody that you know believes that this is the word of God, but you have discovered for yourself that yes, this is the word of God. See, there's some answers that we have to find for ourselves. There's some answers that no one can give us, even God answers that we have to discover that's why i believe god doesn't give us the answer he shows us because he knows that when we find that answer and now it belongs to us now it becomes a part of who we are in romans chapter 5 paul says that hope does not disappoint us and never disappoints us because god's spirit has been poured into your heart. See, the assurance of God, the assurance of Christ, is in you already. That is something that already dwells in you. The answer you seek about Him, about who He is, about who you are, that answer is already inside you. And the journey of your faith is finding out that answer for yourself. And you're not alone in this. I mean, that's what the church is here for, after all. We exist to help shepherd and guide people along their journey to faith. You've got the church. You've got other believers. You've got the mind that God gave you, and he gave you that mind specifically for this journey of faith and discovering who he is. But more than that, you've got the spirit that dwells in you. The spirit that's been guiding you your whole life, taking you this way and then that way, steering you from this and towards that, steering you to this person and away from other people. He's been leading you to an answer that you already have within you. I know it's not the easiest way to do things. We're good, efficient Americans. We like the straightforward answer. It's not the easy way. It's not the efficient way. But it's the good way. This is how the answer you're looking for becomes truth. This is how the answer you're looking for becomes not just an answer, it becomes who you are. So this Christmas, as you celebrate all the reasons we have to celebrate this season, celebrate this gift as well. The gift that the Spirit dwells within you. That the answer to your faith, to the most important questions of your life, are already yours. They're just waiting to be realized. Because the night that we celebrate is the night that God became Emmanuel. And that means for us that God is already with you. That He is the answer within. That Christ is the answer that you have been looking for. But then again, I can't tell you that. You have to find that for yourself to god be all the glory forever and ever amen